Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the Met, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Now, enjoy the message. Hey, how are we doing this morning? Good, good, good. It's good to have you here. We're in the middle of a series called Vacation, and I'm excited to have Micah Tomasello with me this morning, and uh, Mike is part of our community life team. He's one of our group's pastors here, and Micah, since this is your very first time speaking here on the weekend, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody? Well, so hey, everybody. I'm Micah. Nice to meet you. Good to see you. Uh, so my wife, Emily, and I have been at the church for about a year and a half now. Uh, and she's the beautiful one sitting there up front. She doesn't like when I point her out, but it is what it is. Uh, and like I said, we've been married for a year and a half. Um, so we're pros at marriage this point, you know, at this point. So if you need any help, come on. Uh, and so, you know, really, I, I love being a part of the community life team here. And I love being able to be a group's pastor on staff and specifically see what God does and how God changes lives through community and people doing life together. Also, small tidbit about me, I'm also a big sports fan. And so I'm really glad that the Rangers are back. I'm really glad the Mavericks are about to start playing. And I'm really, really hoping that we get to see the Cowboys in the fall. No matter what, they're my team. They're my team. Amen. Hopefully, hopefully they can win. That's it. That'll be good. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) Everything's so much better when the Cowboys win, right? Okay. (laughs) Much better. Much better. Well, we're in a series called Vacation. And I've been asking everybody when they come up, what do you like to do on vacation? So Emily and I, we've figured out that we love to go to all-inclusive resorts. And so in the past, that has been to Cancun. Um, And really, uh, you know, with vacation, you have to plan and you have to do all this stuff. But when you're at an all-inclusive resort, the food's there when you want it, the beach is there when you want it, the pool is there when you want it, and you can just relax. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we prefer to vacation because I feel like I can just kind of turn the, you know, Kind of turn my brain off for a second yeah. there. So, I yeah, like that's that. what we love to do. I like that. I can, I, I can get into that. That's yeah. the kind of thing. That uh, this whole series has been about taking you places. We've been all wanting to take you places. And what you might not know is that every place we've taken you to, the pastor that's coming up to speak has been the one who's chosen that place. And so, Michael, where have you chosen to take us today? So we are going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Garden of Gethsemane is located on the Mount of Olives, and that's in Israel. Now, probably as you've already deduced, um, the Mount of Olives received its name because there are many olive trees on that mount, right? And so the Valley of Kidron runs in between the Mount of Olives, where the Garden of Gethsemane is, and it's kind of a barrier there between that and the city of Jerusalem. And so it gives a great view of the city. And so as we'll see, not to ruin the story or anything, but this is a place where Jesus will retreat and he will pray and he will cry out to God before his eventual death, burial, and resurrection, right? And also we see that in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's not only important to Jesus, Rob, it's it's also a place where we see throughout scripture, it's an important place. King Solomon erected a high place there, right? King David fled Jerusalem, up the Kidron Valley, up to where the Garden of Gethsemane is, and that's in 2 Samuel 15. And then finally, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah, he actually prophesied a day of the Lord was coming where Jesus would stand on the Mount of Olives where the Garden of Gethsemane is. Mm -hmm. 
and he would be the king over the whole earth. And so we see Jesus and we see the narrative of how important this garden is throughout scripture and in Jesus's life. So this is a special garden. This is a very mm -hmm. special garden. Yes, great choice, great choice. It's a, Thank you. It's a, it's a great story behind this. And, I, and there's so much uh, life application in this story uh, for us to, to kind of dive into today. But before we get to that story, we got to kind of talk about how we got here. We got to talk about how we got here because this is really the end of, of Jesus' three-year uh, ministry here on earth. I mean, this is the ministry that started, remember, when John the Baptist announced Jesus' arrival right there at the banks of the Jordan River when he says, there he is, guys. That's the guy I've been telling you about. He's, he's the Lamb of God, the one that's coming to take away the sins of the world. And I think it's kind of fitting that, that, uh, that we kind of end right here in this garden because, remember, sin started in a garden. And now Jesus is in the garden about to go to the cross to pay for our sins. And this is why this story is so important to each and every one of us. And so I thought I'd kind of kick off this story by talking about what's happening. Jesus is actually on his way to Jerusalem uh, with his disciples for Passover. And when Jesus shows up, it's like he's the Super Bowl champion that's coming back to the city. The city is electric. The city is on fire. They're just cheering. They're so excited to see him. They're, they're waving palm leaves. They're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which is Lord save us. You see, the people thought that Jesus was coming to do something for them. They thought Jesus was coming to do something for the entire nation. They thought that Jesus was actually coming to end the Roman oppression, Jesus was going to overthrow the Romans, and now Israel would be free again. That's what they were so excited to see Jesus. What they didn't understand was Jesus was actually coming to do something for all of mankind, but they couldn't wait for Jesus to be there. Now, there was another group that couldn't wait for Jesus to be there, but for a totally different reason. This was the religious people. These were the Pharisees. They wanted Jesus to get there because they wanted to arrest him. They were tired of this whole Jesus phenomenon. They were tired of all these people following him and listening to him. And they thought that what he said about himself and, and what he was saying was blasphemous, that, that it was offensive to God. And they thought he should die because of what he was saying. And so they were looking to arrest Jesus. The problem is they couldn't get him on his own. See, he was always surrounded by crowds. There was always people around, and they knew that if they tried to arrest him in front of everybody, they'd have a riot on their hand. They'd have a revolt on their hands. But then they caught a break because of one of Jesus' followers. He breaks rank. Judas goes to the high priest, and he says, you want Jesus? I can get you Jesus. I can get you Jesus when nobody else is around. I can get you when the crowd's not there. And so they work out this deal. They work out this compensation for Judas to turn Jesus over to him. And then Judas leaves, and he looks for that time that he's going to tell them where they can get Jesus. Now, what Judas didn't understand and what the, the, the religious people didn't understand was the fact this was all part of God's plan from the very beginning. Jesus came to die. And Jesus ch chose that moment to come to Jerusalem during Passover to die on the cross for our sins. It was all part of God's perfect plan. And so later in the story, we see that, that Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and they're having that evening meal. And Jesus starts telling his disciples what's about to happen. And he changes the whole tone because he starts off by washing their feet. He's washing the disciples' feet, and they're taken back by this because this is not something that the master does. I mean, washing somebody's feet is the lowliest thing anybody can do. It was usually a servant, a slave that did these things. And Jesus says, no, I'm doing this to you because this is what I expect you to do for each other. This is the example that I'm setting for you. And then Jesus talks to him and he changes the whole meaning of Passover. He says, I know you've been celebrating this since you were little boys, 
And every time that you've celebrated it, you've thought of remembering Egypt and you've remembered Moses. But now when you have Passover, you're going to remember me. That when you take that bread and, and you, you were used to remember that it was about how fast you left Egypt. No, no, no. It's now going to be about my body that was broken for you. And then when you take that wine and you used to think about the blood that you, that you painted over the door frames, now you're going to think about the blood that I spilled for you. Because my blood is the blood of a new covenant. See, the covenant between God and Israel is going to be no more. It's now going to be God and all of mankind. And this new covenant that I'm bringing to you is not one that's based on rules and regulations. It's going to be based on a relationship. And it's not going to be filled with 600 plus laws that you've got to keep. It's all going to come down to one. All you need to do is you need to love one another as I have loved you. That is my new commandment to you. And then Jesus looks at Judas and he says, go. Go and do what you need to do. And Judas gets up and he runs to the religious leaders. And then Jesus turns to the other disciples and says, what I'm about to do is going to cause you to scatter. And they're going, no, no, we're with you. And he says, no, it's going to cause you to scatter. But don't worry, I'm coming back. And then he gets up and he leads them to the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. Yeah, Rob, thank you. So there's so much tension being built up here. I almost feel like him and I are on a volleyball team. (laughs) And he's a great setter. And it's time for the word to spike it over. Amen. So we are in Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46, if you want to open up there. So in verse 36 here in the Garden of Gethsemane, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So coming off the heels of the Last Supper, Jesus asks his inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John, to accompany him to the garden. He then reveals to them that he is sorrowful, even to death, And then he asked Peter, James, and John to wait with him while he goes and prays. So we're going to continue on in verse 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So put yourself in the disciples' shoes here for a moment, right? You've, You've seen Jesus calm storms. You've seen him walk on water, you've seen him heal the blind, the sick, the crippled, up until this point in following Jesus, Jesus has been an absolute rock, a a fixture. But now the savior of the world is sorrowful, even unto death, and he's praying with his face in the dirt. The raw and the real emotions of Jesus here are put on display, but I, I bet you that these raw and real emotions of Jesus were very bewildering to the disciples. So we're going to continue on in verse 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one more hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. So as we can see here, what's so clear and what's on display here is that 
Jesus departs three times to pray, and three different times he gives the same command to his disciples. It, it seems pretty simple, right? But every single time we see that the disciples disobey, they do what Jesus asked them not to do, right? And I can't help but look at the disciples and see a little bit of me in them. I think that we can all see ourselves in the disciples. God speaks to you. He loves on you. He provides everything that you need, but still we disobey. This puts immediate truth to Jesus's words earlier when he says that the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing, right? And so we're gonna continue on in verse 45. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. Notice that Jesus isn't left in the dark here whenever he goes to his disciples and pretty much is just like, hey, let's roll. I'm about to be betrayed, arrested, and crucified, right? He's not left in the dark. In this text, Jesus is real about his struggle and his heartache and how he is capable of these raw emotions is so beautiful because he knows what awaits him, yet he endures. Mm -hmm. He knows what's coming, but he endures for us. Jesus isn't afraid to show emotion, nor is he afraid to express his feelings, right? We see him rebuking his disciples here. He pleads with God the Father, and he chooses God's will. The Gethsemane narrative emphasizes the humanity of Jesus. In doing so, we as Christians have the perfect model to follow. But really what I wanna point out here from this passage is that the text emphasizes Jesus' most important sacrifice was not only his blood, mm -hmm. but it was his obedience. Mm -hmm. We get to look to Jesus for how to respond to pain and how to deal with all the things that life throws at us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You know, when you look at that story, Micah, you, I, I just think about all the pain and, and the, the anguish that you know, Jesus went through before he actually even went to the cross. And I think it makes what happened in the garden that much more significant. Absolutely. Because of that, you know, Gethsemane actually means olive press. It's the place of the olive press. And it's where they would bring the olives and they would actually crush them to get the oil out of it. And it's that oil that they got out of these olives that they actually took to the, the temple Put, took up on the Temple Mount, and that's where they would actually anoint the, the priests there. They would actually anoint the kings of Israel with this olive. And what was interesting about that, for, for them to get all the olive oil out, they actually had to crush the olives three times. They did, it was at three times they went around, which is the exact number that Jesus asked his disciples to pray with him. Because at that point in time is when they was ready, and that's when he was ready. And it kind of leads us to our first point of application was uh, his prayer. His prayer allowed him to do the Father's will. And you need to realize it's that your prayer that's gonna allow you to do what God has called you to do as well. It's that communion with him. Jesus was a man of prayer. Jesus modeled prayer. I mean, Jesus prayed all the time. In fact, that he was so good at it, his disciples, they, they asked him, they said this. They say, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Now, it's not that they hadn't prayed before. They'd all prayed, but they're watching Jesus in his prayer life and going... 
you got something that we don't have, and we just want to learn how to pray. And so he taught them how to pray. And in Matthew 6, if you've got this, in, in verses 5, and you can follow along on the side screens or back here, this is what he said when he was teaching them how to pray. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, truly, I tell you, they have received their full reward. They've received the reward in full. And what he was saying is that prayer is not for public display. Prayer is not something that you do so everybody thinks you're cool, that everybody thinks that you're right with God. And so you're standing around and everybody goes, man, that, guy, that guy's got something with God. That's good. He, and he's saying that doesn't impress God at all. In fact, if that's why you're praying so that other people see, then that's your reward. Because God, God said that you've got what you wanted to. He said, don't do that. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, then he will reward you. And what he's saying is the fact that when we pray, we need to get alone. We need to get alone with God. We need to, we need to go to a place that doesn't have distractions. Because it's when we don't have those distractions, not only can we talk to God, but we can actually hear from God. I mean, think about when you pray. A lot of times we pray so quickly, right? We get up and we say, God, thank you for this day. This is what I need. Amen. And we go on our way. We tell God what we want, but we ever, never had time to actually have communion. And that's what he's saying. The reward is, is not only do you get to talk to God, but you get to hear from God. Amen. When Cole and I got married, the, 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 the pastor that was performing the service, he told us, he said, every single day, every single day, you need to have some TLC. You need to have a touch, a look, and a conversation. He said, that's how you're going to keep the communion between you and your, and your wife. That's how that your marriage is going to stay. Well, it's the same thing with prayer. We take time to have communion with God so that what happens, we're on the same page. That's what prayer is all about. That's what Jesus was doing in the garden, getting on the same page with his father. And he says, and when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans. For they think they will be heard because of all their many words, because they just do a lot of talking. And this should really kind of be a comfort for all of you that are kind of having struggles with praying because you really don't know what to say. There's so many people, I, I, I just don't pray because I don't really know what to say. And what you need to understand, God just wants to hear your heart. You just talk to him just like you talk to anybody else. He just wants to hear your heart. And then he goes on, Jesus says that, hey, don't be like them because guess what? Your father knows what you need before you even ask. Now, there's a lot of people who think, well, if God already knows what I'm, what I'm gonna ask, why do I need to even pray? I mean, if God's already there, it goes back to, again, being in alignment with him, with that communication, getting on the same page with him because once you're on the same page, then you're willing to do what he's called you to do. And then Jesus says, this is how you pray. And I thought we'd do something different this morning. I, th I thought we would all actually say this prayer together. And some of you probably have said this uh, many times in church. Some of you probably this might be the first time. And same way, we do this online as well. And this is what he says. He says this. He says, our Father, Father in heaven, heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You just prayed how Jesus taught us to pray. 
Now, in some of you, if you look in some of your, your um, Bibles, it doesn't have that last part, doesn't have for, uh, for years, it's the kingdom and the power and the glory. That's called a doxology. A lot of times it was an, edited, an added praise that was put at the end of a lot of prayers. That's how I always did it. So I used the interpretation of the Bible that, that, that I've had. And so of saying that, but it's just an added praise. But that's how Jesus taught us to pray. Now, he didn't say every time we have to pray, this is what we do. He's saying, this is the structure you follow. And the easiest way for you that are kind of struggling with your prayer life is, is to do this. Think about the word pray, the acrostic pray. And the word starts with P. The first thing you do when you pray is you praise. Hallowed be your name. I'm going to praise God for who you are and what you've done in my life. It starts with praising God for who he is. We always start our prayer with praise. And then we go to the R, which is repent. We repent. Sin is the great divider. That gets you out of communion with God. And so what happens, we do, we say, forgive us our debts. Forgive us for what we've done. You need to spend most of your time in prayer in these first two places, praising God and making sure you get on the same page with God. And then once you've done that, then you get to the A, which is the ask. God wants you to ask. Yes, he knows what you need. It's not that you're going to catch him by surprise, but he wants to ask because he wants to hear your heart. Because when you open up your heart to him, guess what? He can then pour into you. So he wants to hear you ask, lead us not into temptation. Give us this day our daily bread. He wants to hear what you want. Let this cup pass me by. And then finally, the why is yield. We yield. Your will be done. That's what Jesus said in the garden. He got on the same page with God, and he was willing to go and do what the God asked him to do. And it's the same with us. That's the power of prayer in our life. Absolutely, Rob. That is such a good setup because what I think of when I think of going into our second point here, when it comes to praying, prayer is a catalyst for peace. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes we tell God what we want our peace to look like. We put peace in kind of a box, right? And then we assume that the only way that I can receive peace or we can get peace is if I receive peace the way that I want it. But see, in all reality, God comes and his peace comes when you submit to his will, when you submit to what it is that he wants for you. Sounds crazy, but when we are at our weakest, then we are actually at our strongest. Mm-hmm. So that leads to our next verse, and that's John fourteen twenty-seven, And that starts out with, my, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you, right? And so what we have to understand from that is that his peace and strength come upon us in that time. And then that leads to our second point, which is his peace. Mm-hmm. His peace is our second point here. So in the garden, after much prayer and petition and agony, we see Jesus crying out to God, but we also see that Jesus's fate doesn't change. His circumstance does not change, but he has the peace and the strength to eventually endure the cross for us, Mm -hmm. for our sake, right? He endures the cross for us. And then getting into um, John 14, 27, right? Like we talked about earlier, the peace that God gives is readily available and it's here. And so what I think about is I don't have to ask God for more peace or more love, or for more grace. I can, and he's so gracious to give it to me. But oftentimes, I just don't want to see it. I put it in a box, right? Mm -hmm. So 
What we understand from Jesus' prayer and what we understand from this verse is that these are the words of Jesus. His peace is readily available to us right now, and the peace that took him to the cross is the peace that he freely gives to you and me, Mm -hmm. right? That is encouraging to my heart, and I hope it's encouraging to your heart this morning, church family. So the next two verses that come to mind is Philippians 4, 12, and 13. We all know Philippians 4, 13, right? Most of us do. We've recited it over and over again, that in John 3, 16, right? We know those, right? We're good Christians. We know those, right? (laughs) But the 12th verse leading into the 13th verse is so important because it helps us interpret what the 13th verse means, context. It's always important. Remember that when you're reading the Bible, context is important. So let's read it. Philippians 4, 12 through 13, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound Mm -hmm. in any and every circumstance, right? I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We look at peace as the absence of problems. Mm. But let me remind you of something. God is looking to provide you with peace in the midst of your problems. God is worthy of your trust. He is faithful. He created you. He gifted you. And not only did he do all that, but God gave up his only son for you and for me. Mm -hmm. So there's peace to be found in saying, just like Jesus did in the garden there, not my will, but yours, God. Not what I want this time, God. I trust you, your will, God. So even when confronted with situations that may not be life-threatening, Or maybe you are in a situation that is life-threatening, right? We're living in challenging times. Maybe you just lost your job. Maybe you feel like you're you're stuck in a job that's that's hard, it's it's rough, it's tough. Maybe um, you're having to take care of somebody and it's just draining you. A lot of you just found out that your kids are gonna be home for even longer. (laughs) Sorry about that. Maybe... Living in the middle of a global pandemic in 2020 is starting to get to you. We all have this moment, Rob, where we Mm -hmm. wanna say, remove this cup. Mm -hmm. I want this taken from me. What if God doesn't remove this cup? What if your circumstance doesn't change when you want it to change? What do we do? I think we look to Jesus in the garden. I think we look at the plight of Jesus. I think we look at his prayer and his agony and how he didn't shove his emotions deep down, Mm -hmm. but instead he cried out to God. He cried out to his father. God's peace, what I wanna get across here, isn't something difficult to attain, nor is it impossible to reach. It's actually the opposite, right? It is readily available to us. So my encouragement to you is to cry out to God and be real with him. He is faithful and he can be trusted. Mm -hmm. I love love how you put peace and trust together because really that's where we get that that peace from. That when we trust that God is in control, when we trust that that God has a plan, that's when that peace comes over our life. It was the peace that let Jesus go to the cross. But when you look at the story, the disciples had anything but peace, right? Right? Because they didn't trust what was going on. They didn't actually understand what was going on. That actually, when they came to arrest Jesus, remember what Peter does? He pulls out the sword. He pulls out the sword and he cuts off the soldier's ear that's trying to arrest Jesus. You know, on a side note there, I don't know how that didn't change everybody. I mean, when Jesus actually, after the ear is cut off, goes and touches the soldier and heals him, 
and the ears back, you'd think everybody would step back and went, oh, wait a minute, I think we got this wrong. I mean, he actually is the son of God. Did you just see what this guy did? But nobody caught that. Everybody just goes, no, we're still going to take him. <laughs> we're still going to take him away. But Peter didn't, he just freaked out. He ends up running away. He thought what was happening to Jesus was going to happen to him. So he just runs away and, and he gets confronted three times. Three times he's asked, hey, weren't you with Jesus? And he goes, no, I don't even know who you're talking about. Never met the guy. Don't even know what it is. He denied knowing Jesus. And he goes back to his old way of life. Goes back to fishing. He says, it's been a good run. It was a good ministry. Three years was great, but I guess it's over now. It's over now. He didn't have that peace. But what changed it? What changed it? After the resurrection, after Peter was fishing all night long, he comes, he comes back to the shore, and guess what? Jesus has got breakfast for him on the beach. It changed everything. See, when a guy tells you that he's going to die, and then three days later he's going to rise again, and he pulls that off, and serves you breakfast, it changes your perspective, right? All of a sudden, you start looking at life differently. You, you, you now have peace. At first, you were wondering what was going on, but now, now you go, okay, this guy really is the real deal. I can trust him. And it changed him. He went from a fearful person to somebody who was fearless. And what does Jesus say to him? He says to him, he says, he says Peter, do you love me? He says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And he says, well, then go feed my sheep. What Jesus did, he gave him the third point. He gave him his purpose. And this is our purpose, to share the word of Christ. Jesus died for all. He died so all would come to faith. And faith is found in the word. That's what Romans 10, 17 said. It's the fact that faith comes from hearing the word and the word of God. And that's what our purpose is, is to share the word of God. Because we want everybody to come to faith. And what did Peter do? He, he embraced his purpose. He gets up after that conversation. He goes back to Jerusalem. He goes back to the very place that he was scared of, that he ran away from. And not only does he go back to Jerusalem, he goes up onto the Temple Mount. He goes up on the Temple Mount and he starts preaching Jesus to everybody. He's preaching Jesus to all the people. And guess what? They arrest him right there. He was probably arrested by the same people that arrested Jesus. And he was thrown in jail, probably the same jail that Jesus was in. And then he has to appear in front of the religious council, the same people that sent Jesus to the cross. And you know what he did? He stood in front of them. And he said, you killed him, God raised him, and by no other name can you be saved. He preached to him. He preached the gospel. He preached the word. He said, guys, this is the only way that you can be right with God. You've got it all wrong. They were so dumbfounded. They were so dumbfounded by what was happening there that they let him go. They let him go. But before they let him go, I said, listen, we're going to let you go this time. But if you speak the name of Jesus again, it's not going to end well for you. So you can leave, but end this Jesus thing. We already got rid of Jesus. We don't want to hear about it anymore. And so what he does, he leaves and he goes and he meets with a bunch of Christians right there in Jerusalem. And they pray. They pray. And at the end of this prayer in, in Acts 4, if you look at it, you go there. But in, in Acts 4, uh, 29, this is what they say at the end of the prayer. He says, now, Lord, consider their threats. Consider what they said, that if I talk about Jesus, if I spread the word of Jesus anymore, that they said they're going to kill me just like they did Jesus. Consider their threats. And then he says, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They say, God, help me do your purpose. Help me to do what you've called me to do. That's our purpose. 
to realize that we are here to shine the light of Christ to everybody we come in contact with. That's what Jesus said before he ascended into heaven in Matthew 28. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. He said, if I change your life, make sure you go out and change somebody else's life. That is our purpose. And that's why Jesus died for us. Rob, that is so good. And really like what I think about is, and what's coming to my mind in this time when you say that, is we look at this book, right? We read this Bible and there's almost like this weird assumption some of us make that God is different then than where, than where he is now. We see God in scripture faithfully answer prayer and show up over and over and over again. He's the same God now. And also when we're going through all of this, the simplicity of all this is astounding as well because we make these assumptions, right? We think that it's so much more difficult than it actually is, but it's actually quite simple, mm-hmm. right? It's actually quite simple. And that's by the grace of God that it is, right? So our first point was his prayer. And what I wanna emphasize is that Jesus prayed in the garden. And not only did he show us how to pray, right? He oftentimes departed from the disciples. He left early in the morning, right? He emphasized his time with his father, but he was real and raw with his emotions with his father. Because Jesus had a prayer, we have a prayer. And secondly, his peace, like we talked about earlier, the peace that took Christ to the cross is available to you and to I and to me and to all of us, right? It's available to us right here, right now, because he has peace, because he had peace, we have peace. And then finally, Jesus fulfilled his purpose, our third point, right? Jesus fulfilled his purpose and fulfilled what he was sent to the earth to do. And he died for us. Mm -hmm. The weight and sin all on him was laid. He died for us. And so because Jesus fulfilled his purpose, then Rob and I have a purpose. If you're a Christ follower, you have a purpose. And that purpose is to share Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I wanna talk to you for a moment about a relationship and how transformational and how awesome a relationship with Jesus Christ can be. So through the sacrifice of Christ, we are able to be in right relationship with God. Not only does the sacrifice and accepting his salvation, right? Not only does it give us eternity in heaven, but he also walks with us. Mm -hmm. He gives us direction. He gives us his peace. He gives us his love here on earth. So to drive home this point, a few verses that stick out to me is 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. And it reads, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I just got chills. Okay, I just got chills. Think about Paul's words here. Paul is so confident in Jesus that he says, death, you have no place here. So I'm I'm gonna ask you to do something with me, right? Rob and I, you, if you're a Christ follower, you've been able to look death in the face and say something. And I'm asking you if you would do that with me today, just like Paul did here, would you be willing to look death in the face and declare in the name of Jesus, it has no hold on you anymore. Mm -hmm. The things of this world, everything that it throws at you, in Jesus, we have refuge and strength, right? 
So because of Christ and his finished work on the cross, the thing that people often fear the most, death was and is forever defeated in Jesus' name. Jesus gave himself up for you. Salvation is readily available to anyone and everyone, and that's a beautiful thing. Romans 10.9 states, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. I know at first, in the past, I kind of had the thought of, how can you fit salvation into a sentence? (laughs) Well, that's the grace of our God. It sounds simple because it is. Believing in your heart and confessing with your tongue that Jesus is the Lord of your life changes everything. Actually, Rob, I got saved when I was five. Mm-hmm. A little bit about my story, right? I, somehow, it made sense to me even at that young age. And I had some things that I had to go through, right? Specifically, my father growing up was very abusive. And I heard over and over and over again, whether if it was from his words or his actions, Micah, you are not enough. But you know what God did? He did what God does, right? (laughs) He stepped in and he was a better heavenly father than any earthly father could have been. He has been everything to me. Mm -hmm. Allow him and let him be everything to you. So wherever you are, if you're in here with me or if you're watching, if you're in the car listening, if you're on your couch, if you're in front of your computer, wherever you may be, I'm going to ask that you pray with me if you want to know our Savior Jesus, mm-hmm. our King Jesus. And so I'm going to pray, and I'll just ask that you would just repeat after me and be saved. Let's pray. God, thank you for your graciousness and your love. Thank you that you're a God that's so mighty and so in control, but God, you wanna have a relationship with me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe that you died and rose again in three days. Come into my life, save me, and change me. I want to follow you for all of my days. I'm tired of going for everything that this world throws at me. I want something consistent, and that's you, God. Lord, we love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, yay, that's exciting, right? Woohoo. Yeah. Please consider and really just do it. Text new faith to 97000 up there on the screen. Three zeros, right? 97000. We want to walk with you mm-hmm. as a church. As you've made this decision to trust Christ and as you're going to pursue Christ in your life, we want to walk alongside you. So please allow us to do that and send a text message of new faith to 97000. That's right. And make sure you do that. If, you, if, if you're watching and you can't do that uh, right now because of the device you're on, write this down because we want to hear about that because this is the start of your journey. Yep. This is the start of your journey and we want to help you with that and, and to walk with him. All of you that actually have already been Christ followers and, and, uh, and you're walking with him now, you know, one of the things that you brought up earlier in the message that kind of hit me is the fact that, you know, we're in really difficult times right now, that uh, this, is, this is something new for all of us. Um, it's hard for me to believe, but we've been kind of dealing with this thing for like almost five months now. I mean, it's great that we have people back in the room, but it's not the same because everybody's social distance as far as what it's doing, but it's great to have everybody here. 
but we're having to deal with a lot of different things, and I know you're doing that in your own homes as well and uh, in your jobs of all the different things you're going through. And I think a lot of times there's a lot of Christ followers that aren't having the peace that you talked about. They just don't have that peace because I just don't know what's gonna, what the future holds. I just don't know what to do. And so you're having with this angst. And I want you to think about this before we go. I want you to think about Philippians 4, 4, 6, and 7, when it says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition that we give thanksgiving and make a request known before God. And I want you to understand what that's saying. It's the fact that God knows what you're going through. God understands what you're going through. But what God also wants you to do is let it go. See, when, you talk, when he's talking about there, the peace that passes understanding, the peace that passes understanding happens when you actually let go of what you're worried about. See, we go to God with all the things we're doing. And then when we say amen in our prayer, we take it back. And we're still holding on to it. And God is saying, let it go. I've got this. And so my prayer for all of you here today and all of you that are watching online is whatever is bothering you right now, whatever you're going through right now, go to God and let it go. God's got you. God is gonna see you through all these things because when you feel that peace, you will do his purpose. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for the gift of your son. The fact that you loved us so much that you would let him die on that cross for our sins is just amazing. And the power that raised him from the dead is the power that now is available to us that gives us life. And God, we thank you for all those people that have made that decision to to take that step of faith and to put their trust in you uh, today. God, we just, we thank you for that. And I thank you for all of the others that are, that are watching, that, uh, that, are, that are dealing with difficulties in their life right now. And I just pray that you give them the strength right where they're at to let go of what they're holding on to. You know what they're dealing with. You know what they're facing. You know what's keeping them up at night. Give them the assurance. Give them the comfort that if they would just let it go, you will give them their, your peace. And so they can go out and fulfill your purpose, which is shine in the light of Christ. God, we know this world needs to see you more than ever. And we know that you've chosen us to be the ones that shed that light. So help us to boldly speak the word of God, to boldly go and share your love, to share what you've done in our lives to everybody we meet. God, we just thank you for all you do. We love and praise you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.